covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we come your way another week. But this is the week where we can actually talk about real baseball things as spring training is underway down in Arizona. And it has been a very busy past week and we've got a lot to get into including the big news of Sunday. We'll get to all that in just a moment. As always, our housekeeping items at the top of the program. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that is fantastic. If you want to get in contact with me, you can do so via Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. On the program this week, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball is going to join us and he's actually going to be a uh, We've got a double shot of Brad today on our social media conversation, and we'll also uh, shift that conversation over to some of the minor league guys. They call that our uh, Down on the Farm segment as well, so that's going to be coming up. Of course, we'll go back through the last week or so worth of news, but the big news item we're going to touch on right now uh, as we speak, and I'm coming your way. I'm recording this close to midnight Sunday night slash early Monday morning, but the news that came down late Sunday afternoon from multiple sources out there is that the Brewers are re-signing Mike Moustakis. It is a one-year deal, and it's going to be valued at about $10 million. Some reports say there's a mutual option. Some reports say there's not. A mutual option to me is nothing. I don't know the last time I saw a mutual option that was picked up. The only side of that is sometimes there's a mutual option with a buyout in there, and I haven't seen any buyout language on this yet. That doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, but either way, one year, about $10 million, seems to be the, uh, the the going information, I guess you can say, about uh, about this Moustakis deal. I like the deal. Uh, I like it for a number of reasons. I think it makes the team better. I think it improves the team's depth. I think it covers up some possible issues that the team could run into. All right, so first off, Mike Moustakis fit in perfectly well inside of that clubhouse last year. He had an impact not just on the field but off the field as well, and I think that's important. In a 162-game season, you're going to have some games that can be won by how things go in the clubhouse. That's not to say that a team that's really bad and everybody likes each other is going to win games, but when you're a talented team and you're around each other all the time, I think that does have an impact on the field. And Mike Moustakis fit really well inside the clubhouse. Offensively, he is an upgrade. We can argue as much as we want about how much of an upgrade he is over what the offense would be, whether it was an Aaron Perez at second or a Corey Spangenberg at second, whoever it might be. But he isn't. He's at the very least, he is a slight upgrade. At the most, he's a major upgrade. Uh, with w- because basically he is replacing the second baseman because Travis Shaw is going to move over to second base. And I think there's the possibility for him playing a full season at Miller Park that he could be a big, big, big offensive upgrade. We saw a little bit of it last year, but that was in a short amount of time. You go play a 162-game season, you play half of those games at home, I think Mike Moustakis might put up some really big numbers this year from an offensive standpoint. I think more importantly, and we're going to get into this pretty deep with Brad Ford coming up in just a few minutes, I think he covers you if you have some issues at some areas. You know, if Jesus Aguilar does not repeat the season that we we think he will, or at least that, you know, if he doesn't do 
uh, some version of what he did in the first half of the season last year, and he kind of regresses back to the mean by having a Mike Moustakis. You can always throw a Travis Shaw over at first base and have Moustakis at third, and you know you figure out second from there, whether it's Spangenberg or Perez, and at some point Keston Hira is going to be around. And that's the other side of this. At some point Keston Hira is going to get there, and there's just going to be more depth. And you could say this, at some point Mauricio Dubon's going to get there. Uh, this is a team that is pushing the limits in terms of depth. Right now, we don't know how the roster is going to all work out and the fact that you're going to be adding more players as the season goes along. We can assume that neither Hira or Dubon will be on the team when the season gets started. We would think that they'll both get an opportunity at some point during the year. Now, there's going to be injuries, and there's going to be opportunities because of injuries, but also you teams get healthy. So what's it going to look like once everybody is healthy? It's a, it's a really good question, and there's not a there's not an easy answer for it right now. But I think Mike Moustakis makes this team better. It's a one-year deal. It's $10 million. $10 million is a lot of money. I'm not running away from the fact that $10 million is a lot of money. And kudos to the Brewers for being willing to expand payroll once again. But the old adage is there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. You're not locking in multi-years, lots of money. This is a perfect situation. And I think for Moustakis, this can be that you know, make-or-break year in the sense that if he can play a year at Miller Park and put up really good offensive numbers and maybe all this stuff with the slow free agency market can kind of be cleared up a bit, if all that happens, then perhaps he, he goes and cashes in next year on the free agent market. But at least for now... It's a uh, it's a situation where you bring Mustakas back, and I think he makes the team better. At the end of the day, isn't that what it's about? Finding ways to make teams better. Like, I'm not trying to sound like David Stearns right now, but one of his adages is, you know, they're always looking to be able to add talent to make the team better. The team's better with Mike Mustakas. We can argue all we want about how much better they are with Mike Mustakas, but I think it's hard to argue against them being better. I, I think the the worst thing you can say about the Mustakas signing is that they're marginally better. And the best thing you can say is they're a lot better. And the truth probably lies somewhere in between all of that. But it's it makes sense, and I assume that we'll see Travis Shaw at second, but that has not been official, but I think that makes all the sense in the world. I think that's the way uh, things are going to go. Again, Brad Ford's going to be joining us in just a, a few moments, but let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. All right, so the big headline is obviously the Mike Moustakis deal. Uh, the official report is $10 million in 2019 and a mutual option for 2020. Uh, mutual options are rarely, if ever, picked up. There's if, if you know of a mutual option, I can't think off the top of my head, and that doesn't mean it's never happened. It probably has happened at some point, but if you want to if if you want to bring to my attention, you can tweet at me at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, a time where a mutual option has been uh, been picked up. Generally, you know, team options sometimes will, sometimes won't be picked up by team. Uh, player options, same deal. Mutual options, I just I can't remember a time a mutual option was ever uh, picked up by both sides. Uh, but anyways, Mike Bustock is back in the fold. Obviously, what we've been talking about a whole bunch. Some of the other news and notes coming out of uh, Arizona this past week. Uh, Aaron Perez had wrist surgery 
and he evidently was playing through a ton of pain all of last season. He, at one point, the organization, I guess, suggested to him for him to go ahead and get surgery, but that would have uh, ended the season. That was pretty late in the season when they uh, gave that uh, message to him. So how that impacts him, you know, his uh, and we'll talk with Brad Ford about this in just a bit. We've already recorded the information with Brad, so I already know the things that he's going to say, so I don't want to take too much away from uh, that conversation. But Brad is going to make the point that you know the batting average is about the same. Hard hit rate was uh, pretty solid for him last year in terms of what he's done throughout his career. So it's hard to really identify where the wrist might have affected him, but maybe it did, and that's something to keep an eye out on. Uh, somebody joining the organization again, Jay Jackson. He's a 31-year-old right-handed pitcher. Came up in the Brewers organization uh, and got his highest AAA. Eventually went to San Diego, where he made his Major League debut as a September call-up in 2015. He's a guy who's been pitching uh, in Japan for the last uh, three years, his team winning the league title all three years that he was on it and uh, twice advancing to the Japan series so that's uh, he's he's played games that matter and you never really know what somebody's going to look like how they change when they go overseas to uh, them coming back sometimes it's a really good thing so I think this is a really intriguing signing for the Brewers and I'm very interested to see uh, what he looks like during the course of spring training a couple of notes uh, Ryan Braun not going to play much first base in spring remember last year there was a lot of Ryan Braun at first base. In fact, he started the year as the starting first baseman, and uh, it appeared that he was going to play a lot out there. Well, that's not the case this year. They may play him there every moment or so just to have his comfort level. In fact, Craig Council basically saying, hey, you know, it's the 13th inning of a game. You need to play him over at first for whatever reason. They want him comfortable with that, but they don't have a problem with guys who can play first base right now and with Keon Broxton and Domingo Santana not being in the organization anymore. Uh, Ryan Braun can really focus his time on left field for this upcoming season. Uh, a lot of stuff to get into, uh, obviously, coming out of spring. Lots of news and notes. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to go through these on an every week basis here on the podcast, but those seem like uh, some of the big ones, obviously, this week. So those are this week's headlines of the week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. We welcome back onto the program one of my favorite folks to talk to on the podcast. I say that a lot, but it's always true. We welcome in a, a guy who uh, covers the Brewers, talks about the Brewers, writes about the Brewers, and also the entire uh, minor league prospect system. He is uh, Brad Ford. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Hi, Brad. How are you? Hi, man. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I am all right. I'm glad to have you on. And I sent out a tweet earlier today that said uh, something along the lines of, I always enjoy it when the Brewers break some news or something Brewers-related that the news breaks on Sunday because we always do the podcast uh, on Sunday night. And the news of the moment is the apparent one-year deal that is going to be finalized in all likelihood sooner than later, but it seems like a sure thing that Mike Moustakis is going to be back with the Brewers this upcoming season. We'll, we'll dive into this a little bit, but I'll start with this. What's your initial thoughts about, the, about Moustakis returning? Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, you can see that my initial thought was, I think it's fine. I don't know if it was necessary, but I think it's good. 
Um, I think based on what I was expecting from the Brewers offense is that it was going to be probably a little bit worse than it would be without Mike Moustakas, but close enough that it didn't really make a difference. Uh, That relied on a lot of things. It relied on Hernan Perez being able to perform well enough up until you had some prospects come up. Uh, It relied on Keston Hira being able to perform well enough once his time came to shine and he was brought to the majors. Uh, And it relied on Corey Spangenberg Spangenberg, uh, kind of increasing his ability when coming to Miller Park. Um, But I think what you do with Mike Moustakis is you take out all those question marks and you know for sure that your offense is going to perform at this level. He's a very consistent player. Um, You very much know his outcomes and kind of what to expect from him coming into things. So I think you end up on a very um, secure seat and now you know for sure how your offense is going to perform. I think, and I could, I, I'm not predicting this, and you made reference to this on, on a tweet earlier today, and I think you were spot on. I think Jesus Aguilar is a big question mark going into this year because he doesn't have the track record. Anybody who's listened to this podcast or listened to me talk has, has heard me mention track record over and over and over and over, and I'm, I'm always... I'm always concerned when you assume a guy is going to repeat their successful season when they don't have multiple seasons, track record, going into it. And Jesus Aguilar two years ago was a really nice player for the Brewers. This past year he was an all-star, but he did slow down in the second half. And I just I don't think we know for sure if who Jesus Aguilar is, whether first half Jesus or second half Jesus is actually the guy. And I'm not I'm not predicting one way or another. Very easily, pre-All-Star Jesus last year could be the guy that he comes back this year. And if that's the case, groovy, everything's awesome. But there's no guarantee that's going to be the case. So for me, part of this Mustaka signing that I think is really important is the idea that it also provides you some insurance over at first base. And with all due respect to Eric Thames, I understand that he's on the roster. But Eric Thames is another guy who, from a track record standpoint, hasn't been consistent over the last couple years. So all of a sudden, with Moustakis there, if when Keston Hira gets up, if if for some reason Jesus Aguilar just can't repeat what he was doing in you know pre-All-Star portion of the year last season, you can have a Travis Shaw at first, you can have a Mike Moustakis at third, you can have a Keston Hira at second. It seems like that is at least an option if Jesus Aguilar uh, maybe regresses a bit this upcoming season. I think you would agree with all that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fantastic fail-safe um, should that happen. And I think it's very realistic that Jesus Aguilar isn't the player who we saw last year. Um, I think it's he, I think he's probably a 250-25 home run player, um, which is a satisfying first baseman. But it's not the superstar we saw in the first half of last year or the total outcome of what we saw once everything was done because of that stupendous first half. Um, but we've seen as Brewers fans alone time after time again of players who have spectacular single seasons and then come back and struggle to repeat that. Just recently, we had Jonathan VR, who goes on this phenomenal season, steals 
over 40 bases, you know, hits pretty well for his position. Uh, then the Brewers try to transition him from shortstop to second base um, and third base, and he doesn't do well that well at third, second base. And you see regression there. We've seen it in players going as far back as, say, a Niger Morgan, um, a Casey McGahee players who outperform their expectations in big ways then come back down to earth. And I think Jesus Aguilar right now is less likely to be that type of player than the other ones, but the risk is still there. So by doing this, you create the safe nets that you kind of talked about, where now if Aguilar fails, you have Shaw or Moose that can take over. If Shaw needs to move, you have Dubon and Hira and Perez and Spangenberg who can take over. If Moose were to fail for some reason or to get injured, Shaw can shift over to third base, and you still have those second base protections that I talked about. And then you have Perez and Dubon to protect at shortstop should Arcia can at all appear the way he was last year, which was, as many fans don't like to admit, horrendous. I mean, he was one of the worst batters in baseball last season, uh, and his defense, as good as it is, was not enough to make up for it. So this signing, if nothing else, creates such a surplus of depth that in, you should have success at the position in one way or another if something else weren't to perform to his expectations. As it sits right now, do you see a place for Eric Thames on the roster? No, but at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if he is on the roster. Yeah, but the hard thing we had the same. Let me interrupt you for a second because I think it's worth noting, and I'm not trying to be rude. We were having the exact same conversation about Jesus Aguilar 52 weeks a year, you know, ago. Oh, Jesus can't make this roster. I was there's no space for him, and he went on to do what we just talked about in the first half. So, you know, anything we say right now could or, or could not come true. So, I'll let me just throw that caveat in there and, and let you continue. Right. And I think that's basically their thought is they are paying a good chunk of money for Thames right now. Um, and he does fill up the bench with kind of a clunky player. Uh, he's not super versatile. Uh, he plays first base in the corner outfields uh, and preferably right field, if any of them, because that can hide his lack of range better than left field can. So ideally, I think in terms of a roster building conception, you don't want him on there. However, the Brewers have shown that having too much of one thing isn't something that concerns them at all. They're willing to build a roster without it. We saw for months what it was like to have a roster with Moustakas, Aguilar, Thames, Shaw, all playing together. Shaw got very limited bats, um, but I really don't think Thames goes unless the Brewers find a suitor who they deem um, unwilling to pay the price that the Brewers want. And if that doesn't happen, I don't think Thames ends up going anywhere because I don't think they want to just eat, bite the bullet and pay his contract, which I think is around $8 million right now. So I could very well see him being on the roster. Any other team or most other teams, there's a lot of teams that are kind of building rosters like the Brewers are right now. And there were last year, too. We give Cerns a little too much credit at times on that. I think he was a little bit more unique than the rest, but there were a lot of other teams who were just building depth and building depth and building depth. But now the Brewers kind of had to play with that situation, and I think they're going to be in a situation that's beneficial, kind of like what we saw with Aguilar, G-Man Choi, and Thames last season, in that if something can happen, they'd rather have too many players 
blocking up one position like the Yankees in the infield or other teams who are dealing with that type of congestion and pay that contract to have a positive outcome than anything else. I do think it's worth noting, like, you know, the, the adage is there's no such thing as a as a bad one-year contract, but this is still a small market Brewers team. And I, I'm look, I'm not trying to kiss their backside, but they just added another $10 million to uh, the roster for this year. Maybe they end up signing another pitcher before spring training is over. And I have all the confidence in the world that if they're in the exact same scenario that they were in last year, that they can add salary at July 31st, and they can add salary at the end of August. Like, this is... Mark Atanasio is spending money, and and there's there's been times historically where the team was not playing well, and there are very little expectations, and maybe they didn't spend money. But in a in a time where no but no owner seems to be spending money, uh, the Brewers, you know, the the, the line a couple years ago from was you know out punching their weight or whatever. I feel like they're continuing to do that. Adding another ten million dollars to the roster is notable. Yes, absolutely. Um... And I think what's happening here is you're looking at the Brewer, both of the Brewers' major acquisitions, and I would count Moose well within the umbrella of major acquisition, are things that aren't going to weigh down the budget for a long period of time. So you have $16 million this year plus the mutual opt-out from Yasmani Grandal, and then the Moose stock is $10 million. With some reports that he's getting a mutual option and some people stating he definitely isn't getting a mutual option, which is fun. Um, And those are burdens that the team, the organization isn't going to have to bear for a long time. I think what they're doing is they're taking advantage of the situation that has been created by those other owners not being willing to spend that you just mentioned and capitalizing on players who just want a place to play as long as it makes them happy and as long as they're getting near the amount of annual money that they wanted to get. Moustakas was obviously happy here. He obviously wanted to come back. So even if it's on a one-year deal, as long as it's somewhat around the realm of the annual dollar he wants, let's go for it. Grandal, as long as it's getting him closer to getting a ring, it seems like a team he's going to be happy playing with, um, and he's getting near the annual rate that he wanted to. Why not? So... I think that's kind of what we're seeing is the Brewers taking advantage of this market that is for the second year in a row more bizarre than anything baseball has seen to come. One that's restricting free agents from making a lot of decisions. And I wouldn't be surprised if they went out there and spend more, especially with this. You already have about 30 million coming off the books next year. Um, So if you spend this year, even if you backload the contract very heavily, you're not really seeing the brunt this year and you're getting even better because of a bear market more or less all right last thing on moustakis and then we'll move on and i'm a moustakis guy i'm really happy to see him back with the team uh this year Uh, a lot of people on twitter they're kind of putting down his offense and, and the difference he'll be able to make do you buy at all the possibility that a full year at miller park can be something that can result in some really, really good offensive numbers for Mike Moustakis. Uh, I absolutely buy that. Um, He is 
a he's very good at least he was last year um he's pretty good at hitting the ball hard last year he had a 41.2 percent hard hit percentage which means a certain number of balls that came off the bat her 41 point per 41 percent of the balls that came off the bat were well over 90 miles per hour he also pulls the ball over 40% of the time that plays into the short porch at Miller field. If he's at Miller park, if he's going to hit the ball extremely hard, he's going to take advantage of that very short area. That's favorable to the left or to the lefties. And he's going to be able to increase his offensive production. Um, and he's around the middle of the pack in qualified third baseman in terms of offensive production. You look at he, I mean, he's exactly at the middle. When you look at uh, WRC plus, which is kind of a measurement of offensive production, he had a one Oh five last year between the Royals and Milwaukee. And that's exactly 15th. When you look at war, which we're all familiar with as a measurement of a person's value uh, or uh, the amount of wins they contribute to above average, he's at a 2.4, which is exactly 15th at third base. Um, So you're getting two of the baseball's top half of third baseman in your lineup every day to the best lefty hitters in the infield in your lineup every day. And I think that's a positive outcome, especially when you increase the home run chances and power potential that Mike Moustakas has by playing in a park more often that strongly favors left-handers. All right, let's get into a couple other notes that have come out uh, here over the last week or so in spring training. Aaron Perez is a guy that it seems like the social media contingent of Brewers folks uh, really don't like. Clearly, he is held in high regard inside of the organization. I, I look at him as somebody that, you know, as long as Craig Council is the manager and Aaron Perez is available to play, Perez is going to be uh, a member of the Brewers. Uh, there was a note that he had uh, wrist surgery, and he actually was dealing with something that was very painful through all of last season. At one point, uh, team officials had actually recommended him getting uh, surgery before the start of the postseason. According to Adam McAlvey, he uh, decided to go ahead and play. Um, The batting average didn't really change this past year from from what he had done historically, but uh, the power, what power he has shown was not there this past year. Any reason to believe that Hernan Perez with a healthy wrist is going to be a significantly better player this upcoming season? Um, No, I'm not really buying that. He had the highest hard hit rate of his career last year. uh, The lowest soft, one of the lowest soft hit rates of his career last year. Um, Even his line drive rate was his second best of his career. Um, I think what we saw was just who hurt on Perez is. And I think it's for Perez. It's a very, very valuable utility player. Um, Someone who maybe doesn't I I'm one of the people who rag on him on social media, but why I rag on him is because I don't think he needs to be out there for 132 games, 400 plate appearances a year when we have the players who we have. Um, so that's kind of what's disappointing to me is, you know, you see a lot of or him, I feel like, get heavily used when there's other options out there. However, I think he's a great asset in terms of a utility player who can play pretty good defense at multiple positions, um, is a stolen base threat, makes good enough contact, um, and does does everything well enough. Um, But I really think that injury or no injury, the Perez we saw last year is just who he is and the numbers, if you look at them statistically kind of go along with that. 
the only blip in there is his 2016 season when he kind of earned that respect to Craig Council. That's the 34 still in base season um, where he played pretty regularly, was able to get up 430 plate appearances. Um, but I mean, you just look at his profile. He's a low walk guy, a fairly high strikeout guy. Um, and he's always going to be limited. Um, but I, I definitely think he has value and he has good value to the team. Um, he's a great locker room presence, which is immeasurable. And it's kind of something say people say when they just like someone and want to find a reason to keep him on board, but it's true. I mean, people really rally around and love Perez. Uh, they have accepted his family and they like him a lot. And I do think there is value to that. Um, but yeah, I really don't think that injury was what was it was making him so substantially worse that we're suddenly going to see some huge offensive surge from him again this year. Another uh, signing this past week, pitcher Jay Jackson. He's somebody who'd been in the organization before, got his highest AAA, went to San Diego, got to the big leagues with the Padres, has been in uh, Japan for the last three years, playing for some very uh, competitive high-level teams there. Does the Jay Jackson signing do anything for you? Uh, yeah, I actually thought it was really exciting. Uh, he's had a, two, a 298 ERA with 127 strikeouts and 127 innings um, in his last season uh, as a top prospect, which he covered three bases. Then he goes out. He can't get out of the minors. Uh, he struggles in a couple appearances, does really well when he plays for the Carp in Japan, has a 2-1 ERA with 192 strikeouts and 176 innings. Uh, his fastball is a little sharper than it was when he left. He has a good slider. Um, I think he could be a pretty good bullpen force. And I think he went out there and learned how to be a um, a more steady and reliable bullpen pitcher. He ended up having the seventh fastest average of forcing velocity among all uh, Japan pitchers last year. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it was one of those great, like kind of pull from places. People aren't looking moves we expect from Stearns. Um, and I think he can play a role. I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but in I don't think he's going to like force his way into the Jeffress hater Knable group. But I definitely think he has a role to play on the team this year. All right, so this is Brad Ford joining us, and what we're going to do, we're going to pause for just a moment because we're going to shift gears in the conversation and talk about uh, some of the guys who will be uh, in the minor leagues to uh, start the season. So, Brad, hang tight, and we'll continue on with you in just a moment. Hanging tight. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile does roll on and not a whole lot has changed except you got to hear the fancy voice guy and a little bit of music as we continue to have a conversation here with uh, Brad Ford from uh, Brew Crew Ball. Well, what we're going to do right here is I wanted to have Brad on here as we get towards uh, the point where 
Uh, more and more minor leaguers are going to be getting down to Arizona. The guys who have invites to us, uh, big league spring training, are already there. But uh, we're going to kind of do this conversation in two parts. The first part, we're going to look at the first uh, few uh, of the top prospects in the organization and what uh, we need to see from them in spring training and the implications of spring training. And then we're going to go through a few of uh, Brad's favorites and uh, hear what he thinks they need to do uh, in spring training. So let's start with uh, the prospects. And uh, we we made reference to this guy during our Mike Moustakis conversation. Keston Hero, we would assume, is going to start the season in AAA, and I, we can assume that he's going to make his big league debut at some point this year. I guess the only question that we have at this point is, is it going to be right after the Super 2 date, or is there going to be a little bit more time of minor league uh, experience for, for Keston Hira? So uh, for you, what do you want to see out of Keston Hira here in the spring training, uh, here during spring training? Um, I simply put want to see him keep it going. Um, there's no doubt that he has a bat that can play right now in the majors. Uh, it cannot play up to the potential that we expect. Uh, he's not going to be a 300 or above hitter right from the get-go. His power still needs to develop, so he's not going to be a 20-plus home run hitter. But in spring training, we can see glimpses of that. We can see how he handles high velocity that is a little bit more controlled than the velocity you see in the minor leagues. Um, and you, as spring training advances, if he stays in camp, which I believe he will be one of the closer cuts to the uh, late end of the month, you can actually see um, how he handles some of the better breaking pitches. Um, I'm not very worried about how he does in the field. We've seen him in the field for almost a full year now between his time in the Arizona league, Arizona fall league at Carolina in May. Once he finally started playing the field and in Bloxy the entire time he played the field, uh, we kind of know what he is. He does have to still kind of a, get used to making some throws again that he hadn't made in a long time. Um, but he shows signs that that's really not something people should worry about long-term and he's going to make those adjustments. He's never, ever, ever, ever going to be phenomenal in the field. Um, he is 100% a bat prospect, but he's not going to be such a liability that people worry about him being out there and taking grounders. So that's not something I really need to see from him in spring training. I want to see how he handles that higher level, uh, pitching that he hasn't quite experienced yet and that's what i'm looking forward to in terms of spring training um and then once he gets to triple a i don't think he's going to really take a step back he's going to kind of move through this just like he has before and uh i think he ends up forcing the brewer's hand at some point where he's doing so well they just have to find a way to get him in their lineup Corey ray last year interesting year for him started out slow and you know the the whispers were out there that maybe this guy is going to be a bust. And then you get into the second half of the season, he turned it on. He hits 27 home runs, uh, showed great ability on the bases last year where he had 37 steals. I would think that we'll see him start in AAA this year. Now, it's a little bit different. You don't get to have those great offensive numbers playing in Colorado Springs, but you're still in the Pacific Coast League, and that's still very much an offensive league. But in terms of spring training, what's important here for Corey Ray? Um, I think he needs to work on uh, really his development in terms of defensive uh, ability. Um, 
there's some swing mechanics he needs to uh, clean up as well. He has a big strikeout problem where he's selling out his swing for power. And I think there's a better, better middle ground he can get to that he can work on with uh, some of the more advanced hitting coaches that are available to him right now. But I would be looking for him to pick uh, the brain of some of his outfield instructors and players like Lorenzo Kane. Because one thing, Corey Ray has fantastic defense, but he gets himself out of a lot of holes by having elite speed speed um if he can work with lorenzo kane and some of the outfield coaches on maybe how to progress those instincts uh get better jumps on balls and be a more instinctual defender and use those tools to make his instincts that much more beneficial to him he can really edge onto that uh elite stance of defenders and then if he is as good a defender as lorenzo kane only hitting 240 but hitting 30 home runs he is a phenomenal everyday player for the Milwaukee Brewers organization so while those two guys are both obviously knocking on the door of uh, the the big leagues a guy who's not knocking on the door but somebody who's going to probably move up the system pretty quickly but a rather young guy is Bryce Terang Brad this is a guy who's just now kind of getting into that routine of being a professional ball player after signing late, getting a little bit of time at the end of uh, last year, but then going into the off season. So going into spring training, is it more about just kind of a comfort level and kind of slotting into the, the organization the way he should? I think the big thing for him right now is condition, uh, conditioning. Um, I thoroughly believe that the Brewers are going to challenge him by putting him in Wisconsin. We've seen them do that with their high draft picks, uh, especially offensive high school draft picks before where they expect them to, or they want to challenge them and see how they take that leap. So I think he's going to full season ball. And I think what he needs to work on is learning how to build a body that can sustain the impact of a full season. Um, the nice thing you hear about Terang is he's a very instinctual fielder who does a pretty good job at shortstop. So that's that much he needs to work on. Um, and then he can work on swing mechanics and, and kind of adding some of that power. There is some power profile there, but he doesn't get power out of his swing. Um, people project him to be maybe a 10 home run hitter who can hit uh, if he, everything goes perfectly 280 to 300. Um but if you really clean up that swing, he could be quite the hitter who makes a very big impact from shortstop. Um, and I think really right now his focus is kind of cleaning up those mechanics, getting more power out of uh, his swing. Some of the things that high school players do that kind of hinge back on their mechanics and keeps them from getting the power that other players get. Unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of video on Terang from his playing time when he came became pro. So uh, I don't know quite what that is, but normally it's a heavy uh, step in their swing, um, a little bit of mistiming with the hips and hands, and then when the hand breaks. So things that can be cleaned up with that, that the pro level can see that the high school coaches weren't necessarily looking for. And then just building that muscle and preparing for that long season haul that he's going to endure for really the first time. We could literally go through the entire list of top 30 prospects and have a long conversation on each guy and what spring training means to them. We're not going to do that. We're going to have a lot of conversations about these guys during the course of our conversations during the season. One more top 30 guy before we go to some uh, under-the-radar guys, although that does include top 30 prospects, but 
I guess, last top five, top ten guy. Uh, somebody who was going to be in the big leagues last year if he wouldn't have gotten injured. And uh, he, he's, he seems to be healthy. Uh, and, and somebody that we would think was going to be in the big leagues sooner than later in Mauricio Dubon. Uh, for me, this is simply making sure he can be healthy getting him back to uh, AAA to see if he can pick up where he left off prior to the injury and seeing just how fast that door opens for him to possibly come to the big leagues. Yeah, I think that's nail on the head. I mean, you've seen a lot of the big tests he's been going through. If you follow a lot of Brewers, uh, beat writers, Hodger Court, McAlvey um, were two who were showing videos of some of the first times Dubon was able to get back out and do some sliding drills, some base dealing drills, things he hasn't done since tearing his ACL. So now he needs to prove that he can go full speed, he can go game speed, um, that his knee's going to hold up to that pressure, which he's had the advantage of he tore it kind of early in the season. So he probably would have been cleared a month or two ago to play um, if it were in the season, probably actually a few more than that. Um, but now he had more time to strengthen it up, really come back. And now he just needs to show that he's didn't lose a beat. Um, I don't think anyone accepts or expects that it's an ACL surgery is pretty hard to come off of, especially when you're a speed player. And even when you're a baseball player, so much of that, um, of your swing comes from your legs that it can take a little while to get back in the rhythm. Um, I know Dubon is going to challenge that thought process and try to really overachieve, but sometimes trying to press through an injury is going to lead you into more bad luck. So I think for him, it's just being patient, letting yourself get back in the rhythm of things, letting that knee really get loosened out. Um, and when the time comes, I think he might be the first on the docket unless the time doesn't come till June and Keston Hero is tearing the cover off the ball. When we were talking off air prior to this, uh, I said to you, who are some of the under-the-radar guys, prospects, guys who will be in the minor leagues this year that you want me to ask you about? And so I'm kind of lifting the curtain on stuff that goes on prior yeah, to the podcast. Fourth That's wall okay. broken. That's all right. I can, uh, I can admit it. <laughs> the, the reason I say it is because with very quickly, the first name that you mentioned was Braden Webb. Why? Uh, so Braden Webb's a pretty interesting story to me. We kind of talked about it. He was drafted in a late rounds coming out of high school or coming out of school, um, but dealt with a major elbow injury, had to undergo Tommy John surgery and went in the 38th round. The Brewers come back the next year, draft him in the third round. And he still doesn't make his debut until 2017. Since then, he's actually looked really good for the organization. And I think showing that a player coming off Tommy John surgery, who really wasn't even quite ready to pitch yet, can go in the third round, speaks to the potential that the team saw in him. Um, and he's been continually progressing in his ability on the field. His strikeouts keep going up. Um, he continues to do a better job at limiting runs. And the one thing that re he really struggles with is walks right now. I think at the very least, Braden Webb is a back-end bullpen pitcher. Now, that might mean seventh, eighth inning, uh, but still we're noticing how more important those roles are in today's game. Uh, he has a good combination of pitches. His fastball looks uh, very good. Um, his secondary offerings are nothing to bet your eye at. His curveball uh, projects to be 
well above average. His changeup projects or projects to be above average, and I know his command can get better. So I kind of view him as being the next Braden Wolf or Braden Woodruff, Taylor Williams, Corbin Burns player in the organization who is ready to make a big impact and make a case for him being one of the top prospects in the system. Uh, kind of like Zach Brown did last year. Uh, a guy that we've talked about a fair amount that you've been high on from from the first moment that uh, he joined the organization uh, is Aaron Ashby. And last year, spent time between Helena and Wisconsin. And uh, at Wisconsin, he had 2.17 ERA. It was only in seven games and 37 uh, innings pitch, but really did a nice job. Has the last name, is somebody who's – so obviously he's got uh, good bloodlines. I'm with you on this one. Uh, I'm excited about what he might bring to the organization. But, again, we're, we're focusing in on this conversation kind of on spring training and what you want to see from him. What's, what's the importance of this spring? for Ashby? Um, I think the importance is he's really got to work on his mechanics. And we've seen kind of those guys with wild mechanics. Um, Corbin Burns um, was one of the guys who looked really aggressive when he was drafted. Uh, He was kind of over pitching, uh, falling off pretty solid. And then I reported in the year where he really broke out to some of my peers, like, no, his arm looks really smooth um like everything looks kind of easy he doesn't look like he's pushing and they all said no brad you're wrong that's not the report we saw and that's because the or what changed though was the brewers have been as of late very adept at helping fix those mechanical flaws right now aaron ashby has a very over-the-top delivery that can be problematic in some cases um leads to some consistency issues um I think the over the top delivery can stay, but they have to work on some of the lower half and clean that up. So that's what he needs to work on right now is really cleaning up uh, his mechanics to be mostly more consistent. Um, I think you can have slightly non-traditional mechanics and still be a very successful pitcher. Uh, but I think he needs to be working with the organization to do that. And if so, or and if he can make the type of leap like a Corbin Burns made in his mechanical growth, he's going to just speed through this organization and be in the majors. I mean, maybe 2020, maybe 20 her 2021 at the latest, if he makes that adjustment, um, he is a guy where it all seems to be there. Uh, some people don't believe on the future outcome, but even if you look at like their potential grades for his ability, the fastball can be a plus fastball. The curveball is a plus to plus plus curveball, um, and his changeup and slider are great secondary offerings. He looks like he can be someone who can be a number two or number three starter, uh, but. Th- he needs to work on the commands and the fir- her on his command. And the first big step starts with his delivery this spring training. One of the uh, reasons I really enjoy talking to you, one of the many reasons I enjoy talking to you, is some of your guys that you like in the organization are uh, right there with some of the guys that I especially like in the organization. And one of those guys is Javon Ward. And uh, last year got promoted to uh, Helena, put up pretty good numbers there. Again, this is a guy who's probably got some time before we see him playing at Miller Park. Who knows? Maybe he'll never play at Miller Park. Maybe it's going to be the new name by the time uh, he gets to Milwaukee. But all that being said, uh, Javon Ward is an interesting guy to uh, continue to monitor as he uh, continues to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He made 
So when the Brewers drafted him, they drafted him because he had all of the talent, but none of the tools. Um, to elaborate on what that means is he has a strong arm, but he doesn't have an accurate arm. He needed to kind of learn to rein in his talent or the talent that was there and turn them into baseball ability. Uh, he made tremendous strides last year with his bat and actually being able to have a little bit more zone control than he had when he debuted. Um, he needs to continue to make progress on that. Uh, he's a guy who is huge, a little tiny, needs to continue to build his frame. At well, continue to build his frame. He was only 18 last year in his second uh, pro year. Um, but he is um, has huge power potential, needs to continue to work on that loft. Uh, and that's things he learned a lot in spring training. He also is very, 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 very raw when it comes to fielding. He could be w one of the best outfielders in the league, but right now he doesn't have really any natural inkling on how to field. Uh, he know he can see a ball coming towards him and then think like, okay, the coach taught me to do this. I need to go do this. And he gets the ball and everything's fine, but he needs to turn that into natural instinct where he sees the ball coming off the bat. Kind of like we talked with Corey Ray, Corey Ray has more instinct and more ability, um, but uses his tools to make up for some of that. Ward needs to really work on taking his speed, his, talent his range and transitioning that into becoming an actual fielder um, but with all those tools and as we see them get more refined he is one of the guys who could be a superstar in the making but it's going to take a lot of time a lot of work and a lot of things going right all right last guy we're not giving doing due justice to all the guys in the organization but this podcast has to end at some point, so we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up with this guy. And this is one of my favorites, and uh, I, I know with what happened at Wisconsin last year, maybe in terms of who the most high-profile catching prospect in the organization, not this guy anymore. Uh, but uh, to me, I'm still really excited about Mario Feliciano. He's still a really young guy. He was a little bit banged up last year. I, I won't run away from the fact that last year his star maybe dimmed just a little bit, but to me... This is guy who could still be a big-time Major League Baseball player for the Brewers. Right. He dealt with major injuries last year. He had a hand injury. He ended up going shoulder injury in the Arizona Fall League. Um, so now his big thing is after a season where he was only 19, was supposed to play his second full pro season, um, and he ended up losing a lot of it. He only ended up playing 46 games, and four of those were in the Arizona League. And then he played, I think, two more at the Arizona Fall League, maybe just one more. I think he had maybe had two at-bats before leaving with an injury. Um, he needs to focus on getting healthy and being ready to go from day one because I still think he's the most talented catcher in the Brewers farm system. Um, he has shown tremendous ability to adapt behind the plate and become a better fielder. His bat looks very natural and there's no problems there. I think that's something where as long as he is healthy, he can swing a good bat. So now it's just him getting healthy and preparing and being ready to go from day one. And uh, if he has a season like he did in Wisconsin, I think he'd be one of the players you could argue should be a top 10 spot. I don't even think it's fair that he's dropped as much as he has in most lists. Yeah. Uh, you saw him approaching the top 10 in many lists last year, and now he's in the back 20. 
And I think anyone who knows the situation understands that he dealt with a lot of adversity and a lot of the problems he had where he only hit 205 um, and barely was able to get any power uh, last year in Carolina was because he was playing unhealthy almost all the year. He got a very, very late start because of injury. He ended up almost missing time after his first week because of an injury. Um he dealt with a lot last year, and he's one of the most interesting prospects in the system to me. So this year, he's got to build muscle and get ready to go uh, right from the word go. And just he can be a very, very good catcher. Um, he has all the tools to be an offensive weapon behind the plate and also be a pretty good defender. Probably never like a superstar defender, but a pretty good defender, one you're very comfortable with. And I think he just needs to be healthy. That's the big thing. I agree 100%. So uh, way to be on that. I want to say this real quick and because uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And we're this podcast right now, we're, it's, we're coming up on 1130 at night on Sunday. You have like you have real stuff that you do in life, and you had to wait for me to travel back and deal with all kinds of uh, issues. So thank you so much for uh, doing that and doing this as late as you are, and kudos to you for that. Uh, tell me, what's what's going on right now? So much stuff going on, but uh, give a plug for what's going on over at Brew Crew Ball. Oh, Brew Crew Ball, what isn't going on? Uh, we just finished up our Pitchers and Catchers series. We're covering the Mike Moustakis signing. Um, we'll probably have some dueling outlooks on kind of what his signing means for the team. Um, we're, I mean, there's just so much with spring training going on right now that comes out every day. Things that, you know, only get three words in a tweet that actually carry a lot more significance Um like how we're currently building out the depth chart right now, um, observing some of these uh, players who are being signed on minor league deals or deals like Jay Jackson, kind of preparing you for what to expect from them, as well as we're ramping up for minor league baseball season. And I'm going to get you ready for that. So we got a little bit of everything going on. We're full steam ahead now that spring training's underway. Awesome stuff. We'll be talking to you a lot through the course of the season. Thank you again so much for uh, staying up late and uh, taking some time tonight. It's no problem. I honestly would have been up anyway. Brad Ford joining us. A double shot of Brad Ford, both the social media conversation and also uh, the Down on the Farm report. And as always, we do appreciate him taking a little bit of time with us. Always fun to uh, talk to Brad. Uh, A lot of things to get into with him, and he's going to be somebody that you hear from a lot during the course of the season. We do at some point kind of shift with him to just focusing on the minor league stuff. So we'll see when that happens. Not that we we certainly can't. talk about big league stuff with him and everything but uh he is such a resource when it comes to uh being able to talk about the uh the various uh things that are going on in the minor leagues and the prospects and we enjoy being able to have that conversation should be noted we are coming up on the first spring training radio broadcast saturday the 23rd when the brewers play in mesa against the cubs that's going to be the first spring training broadcast uh, we will have a lot of broadcast on uh, 620 WTMJ across the Brewers Radio Network and also on our sister station, 94.5 ESPN-FM. There's going to be some exclusive games to that station as well, so you'll be able to hear that. You can check out the entire schedule at WTMJ.com. Just go to uh, the Brewers section, and you can go from there 
and uh, you'll see where that schedule is located. I want to say thank you to Brad Ford for uh, joining us as always, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.